0: Thanks, Emily and Jonathan and Sammy. Welcome back. We're so grateful that uh, the Lord brought you here to be with us today and to lead us in worship. And it's good to to be with God's people. I was just thinking about how Paul, uh, as he wrote that to the church in Corinth, was reaching back to Isaiah 64, verse 4, since ancient times, no eye has seen, no one has perceived, no ear has heard, any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for Him. So we wait on the Lord and we trust in Him today. And our theme verse for this year is 1 Corinthians one nine. Remember, God is faithful. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we focus for the first four months of this year on Jesus Christ our Lord and our fellowship with Him. So we've been called to Christ. But it occurs to me in that verse, there is that word you. And I just want to observe something with you that when it says God has called you into fellowship with His Son, the you is plural. So for we Texans, that is um, y'all. Or if you want to make it really plural, all y'all. And what he's saying is God has called all of you into fellowship with his son. So it is true that you have a relationship with God, but you understand that that relationship is part of being in a community. So for the next months, I would like to think with you about what it means to be called into community because that teaching, our theme verse for this year, confronts compartmentalized Christianity. Our sort of individualized approach to God, where we say, Jesus and me, and I'm not worried about anybody else. No, in fact, it's not just Jesus and you, but it's Jesus and his people, and he invites you in relationship to be a part of that people. So, baptism is a way that we say, I'm part of the people of God, and we celebrate that together today. And there is um, a lot of sociological research being done these days on the isolation of people. There was a book by Robert Putnam kind of groundbreaking years ago called Bowling Alone, which kind of sounds miserable to me. Um, I'm not even sure I like to bowl with people, but bowling alone particularly sounds pretty rough. And in that book, he talks about how uh, attending club meetings is down 58%. He says family dinners are down 33 I bet it's more than that. Having friends over down about 45%. A more recent study by Eric Kleinenberg called Going Solo talks about the way that people live alone. you got lots of statistics. Uh, 32 million Americans live alone. That's about 28% of all households. What's significant is this is way up. From years ago, so in some cities like Denver and Seattle, it's forty percent of people live alone. Five million people in the United States between ages eighteen and thirty-four live alone, and that's just ten times more than in nineteen fifty. Largest category, uh, middle age group, ages thirty-five to sixty-four. In Paris, it's fifty percent. In Stockholm, it's over sixty percent. So when people can afford to live alone, they choose. In many cases to live alone. But even more significant is, Kleinenberg says, the people who have enough wealth to live in a house with other people and still live alone. That is, he uses the word, we splinter into different rooms of the house. So we're all living under the same roof, but we have lost connection. We have lost fellowship. If you want to see this, just today when you go to lunch look around and watch how families at tables in restaurants or maybe in your home are looking at their phones while they're at the meal. Everybody had a different phone. Everybody in the house. It's almost a stereotype now. Uh, you got an iPad or a computer or a phone or you're watching TV or you're doing all of the above at the same time. And what it does is it stops conversations between people. It stops... Connection And in that world, there's something inside us that needs to be connected to other people. So I want to think with you about that, and I want to show you this morning how that goes all the way back to the beginning. So would you open your Bibles with me? Genesis, the book of Genesis, chapters 1 and 2, the story of the creation of humankind. And particularly, we're going to be digging in on this idea that we have been created to relate with other people people. Let's stand together in reverence for our God and His Word today and let's hear the Word of the Lord in Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to start reading with verse 26. Just stay with me. I'm going to move through and we'll, we'll be jumping to other parts of the text as I read and I'll give you a heads up when we're moving. So Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. This is after God in five days has created the world, this beautiful world, and he's pronounced it good over and over again at this point. And then it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So... God created mankind in His own image, in the image of God. He created them, male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. In verse 31, God saw all that He had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Now in chapter 2, verse 7, a little more description of this. It says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Then God plants a garden, and He puts the man in charge of the garden. And then in verse 18, first time God ever says this, it says the Lord God said, It is not good. So everything's been good. It's not good. For she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and his mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please, please be seated. For all of eternity, the God who is the Trinity lived in the unity of. Of community. I want to say it again. For all of eternity, the God who is the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, had lived in the perfect unity of community. So there is community, God, three in one, and God at creation begins to change and make and form things, but especially in the creation of humankind. The only time, every other time, God says, remember this, let there be. And after whatever he says, let there be, comes into being, then he says, good, it's good. But only on the sixth day, when he comes to Adam and Eve and forming them, does he say, let us make. Does that throw you? Because we know from the Shema, Here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We know there's one God, so who is the us? And there are lots of theological answers to that. Theologians still ponder that thought. One thought is it's, it's Him and all the angels. Uh, Or it's a sort of indirect way of speaking. There are different theories about that. And clearly, at this point in the Old Testament, we don't have the full teaching of the Trinity. But as we read the Scriptures, what we see is God in the community of Himself says, this love is too good to keep here. We've got to share this. Let us make humankind our image. And then in verse 27 it says, and He made Him in His image. And then he goes on to to describe that creation in chapter 2. And what I want us to notice in this passage is the way that when God speaks to the man and woman after he makes them, that's the first time. He never says to the stars what to do. He never talks to the birds or the fish or the animals But after he makes the man and the woman, then he says, I give you dominion over this earth and be fruitful and multiply. So instead of speaking in the third person about something he's created, now he's speaking directly to them in an I-you relationship. It's as if God is saying, there's something unique about this. Maybe that's why verse 31, only after he makes humankind does he say, not just tov, that's the Hebrew word, good, but mad tov, mad good, really good, very, that's my own, that's not Hebrew, that's just my sort of paraphrase, very, very good. Look what I have made. And then as God is creating it, we see all this, and then he comes to this place where he says, in verse 18 of chapter 2, not good. What could be not good about what God has created? I mean, he made it. How could something not be good? What is not good? And, th- and what's not good is the aloneness. Of the man. So everything else has been, been created. If you read it this week, I hope you will, in chapter 1, everything's been created uh, according to its kind. So fish are like other fish and birds are like other birds. And then he's got Adam there, Adam, made out of the Adamah, uh, dust, made out of the dust. A man made out of the dirt. And and he says, not good. Why? Because he's created after God's image. But there's the fish have other fish and the birds have other birds. But the human has no other human. It's as if God is saying to us today, I know you love to live, but maybe you never live until you love. And the God who lived in the unity of community creates us not so that we can live compartmentalized Individualized, insular lives behind the closed doors and with our garages locked, but rather so that we can live in community. Of course, with our families, but I think it's larger than that. In fact, if you just want to sort of trace it, I think there's creation, and then there's the fall, and then there's the redemption that comes through Christ, which leads to the new creation, which is revealed in the world through the church. So, at the end, I will point out, and I think they maybe can pull it up, but Steve Timmis says, No one can live the life of the Trinity by themselves. In fact, we have to have other people. We have to have other people to sustain what God has created. So the beauty of, of God's uh, creation Uh, I think it's Douglas Jones is the quote I was looking for. I apologize for that. But Douglas Jones says the beauty of God's creation is the church is the trinity on earth. And all the gifts and body parts are crucial to sustaining the way of the cross. So the big picture is this. There's, there's, There's a problem and then there's a solution. Here's the problem. Aloneness. And God sees this in Adam and he recognizes, well, what's, what's wrong with, with being alone? I mean, it's kind of nice being able just to sort of live life in, in isolation, right? But if you look at it closely, what you see is um, Mark Mitchell talks about this and he says, maybe it's not so good that we can sort of just get our own uh, uh, you know controller of the DVR and go into our own room, but instead... What happens is, maybe God observed that it's not good for man to be alone because he was not referring just to the fact that we need companionship, which is true. But that the temptation to focus exclusively on the self would increase exponentially in the absence of another person with whom to share space and time. So look, the problem is not, I want you to hear me clearly, the problem is not singleness In fact, 1 Corinthians 7 has a wonderful affirmation of how God works in the lives of those who are single. It's not singleness that's the issue. It's the aloneness. And by the way, you can be married and live your life alone. You can have a house full of kids and cut yourself off from the rest of the people and live life in isolation. And when you do, you are missing what God has for you. And so he's saying, no, I don't, it's not good, it's not good for the man to be alone. Why? Because in our aloneness we are susceptible to all manner of weakness and struggles. And uh, especially um, as Malcolm Gladwell tells the story of a man named Christopher Langan. Who has an IQ of 195. Just as a point of reference. Uh, Einstein's IQ was 150. Uh, an IQ of 195. And you think if... if If Einstein could do what he did with a 150 IQ, what could Christopher Langen do with a 195? Well, he works on a horse farm in rural Missouri taking care of horses, which, by the way, is a wonderful thing to do. But it doesn't seem to live up to his incredible genius IQ. And Malcolm Gladwell, in his book, The Outliers, talks about this and says, so here's the issue. Langen had to make his way alone. This is a guy, by the way, who um, perfect SAT, and he fell asleep during the test. And he still had a perfect SAT. Pretty, pretty impressive, right? This is a guy who, when he was studying for foreign language tests, maybe you do this as well, he would skim the book for two or three minutes right before the exam and ace it every time. Why, why hasn't he um, found a cure for cancer? Why hasn't he found a new way into space? I mean, wh- how hasn't he done something amazing? And the answer is... Uh, Malcolm Gladwell says no one not rock stars not professional athletes not software billionaires not even geniuses no one ever makes it alone and the worst of it is when we isolate ourselves and choose to live outside community Christians with other believers just Jesus and me when we try to do that then we find ourselves alone in every way including alone with our sin because as Dietrich Bonhoeffer said sin would have you alone so that you feel like it's just me and here's the problem, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer describes it the person who's alone with their sin, yeah, that person is utterly alone. There's the problem. Not good. Not good that the man should be alone. So. So God begins to create. So we have uh, in chapter two the story of God beginning to create. And what we wonder is, so why would God do this? Why does God create? Maybe God is lonely, right? Except no, that's that's not that's not the case at all. God God doesn't get lonely. In fact, God uh, there is perfect love in the presence of God. And what we know about God uh, is that He uh, lives in this community, this beautiful community of love. Um, Frederick Beekner says, God does not need the creation. In order to have something to love, because within himself, love already happens. So why does God create? When we were in Rome this summer, we looked up at the the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. I mean, I've seen pictures of it. You can see pictures of it on the internet. I think we've got a picture of it. But Michelangelo paints this moment of creation when Adam is created and God is reaching for him. And I was talking to our guide and I said, it looks to me like God's reaching harder than Adam is. She said, no, I don't think there's anything to that. But you look at it and you tell me. Adam's kind of lackadaisical, you know, kind of reaching his hand out there. But God is desperate. God is reaching out to him because God has love to share with him. And he wants him to share the joy and the peace and the love and the beauty that only God knows. We heard it at, on, uh, on our Good Friday evening service when our choir and orchestra did Savior. And the words of Bob Farrell and Greg Nelson and it's God, you know, saying, who will hear the music that I hear? And God is looking at the world he's created. Uh, and at one point he says, who will enjoy the orchestrated mysteries that soar within my soul? I will create man to walk in my own image, form him from the dust, and breathe into him my own breath of life. This is creation. God's saying, I have life. And I want you to have this life, not just existence, but real life, real community. I want you to have fellowship, God is saying, with me. So part of the reason God created us, one of the relationships is just relationship with himself. He made us for that so that we would have relationship with him. One of the the psalms that my friend and I have memorized is Psalm 139. And one of the verses that always gets me is verse 18 where he says... And when I awake, I am still with you. The psalmist says to God, when I wake up, I'm still with you. Now, the truth is, when we wake up, God is always with us. But I like the way the psalmist says it. When I awake, I'm aware that I am with you. And this is what God wanted for us, to have such a relationship with him that when we wake up, We're with Him immediately, consciously, in His presence, living in His presence, knowing Him and loving Him in a relationship that is beyond anything we know. So where do we find that kind of community, that kind of relationship that God has for us? Roderick Loip says, self-giving love is the Trinity's signature. So in part, creation invites us into a life of worship. And worship is more than music. Worship is our whole life. So we sometimes, again, compartmentalize and say, well, I love the worship and, and the sermon as though they were separate things. Or worship is, you know, for those moments that we sing. And nobody in this room, and I, and, I, and I think I can verify this, loves to sing more than I love to sing. But if singing were the only worship we had to offer God, it would be an impoverished offering Because what he wants is us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. Read the message version of of Romans chapter 12 when he says, your whole life, you're walking around living, breathing life. Give that to God as an offering. And so in worship, Marva Dawn says maybe the best part of being made in the image of God is this invitation to worship. This unquenchable thirst for relationship with and in the Trinity To worship God utterly seems to me the foremost consequence of being made in His image. There's worship. That's part of it. Part of the purpose of creation is stewardship. So God says, I give you dominion not to to harm the earth, but to enjoy the earth that I've created. That's a part of it. But the best of it is relationship. So just think about the early days in the garden, pre-sin, where Adam and Eve walk with God in relationship and God you know just think about this God how did he how did he create well he creates out of the dust he begins to form Adam man out of the Adama the earth and God forms in that way and I just have to tell you a couple times in the last year I've gotten to drive a tractor and move dirt around and there's something amazingly therapeutic and cathartic about it. I'm watching these guys in the 18 wheelers behind my house in Hershey Park right now they're trying to fix what the flood destroyed and so they're bringing in And day and night, seven o'clock this morning, I'm walking the dogs, and they're bringing in truckloads of dirt to fill in what was washed away in the flood. And they're packing it down, and you just see these guys, and we had the ninth grade boys at our house for Spark, and they are fascinated with the rocks and the dirt and the piles and the equipment, because there's something about working in dirt. And just to confirm this, National Geographic has said recently, you need to have your kids play in the dirt, because... In the dirt are microbes that will strengthen their immune system. So whatever you heard, I mean, my mom was like, you know, everybody's going clean all the time. But it turns out in the Snoopy's lineup, um, Pigpen is the healthiest one of the group, right? Because he's like, he's in the dirt. He's always got this cloud of dust around him. You can think maybe of friends and family members like that. And in fact, there's something National Geographic uh, studies have, have shown that this is true. But God, after he makes the man, in, in verse 18, says, not good. God has made a beautiful creation, but, but there's something more. I uh, told you on Easter Sunday that somebody planted flowers in my yard, and it's hilarious because my neighbors, uh, who know that I'm not a gardener, have come up to me and go, oh, I like, I like your flowers. And honestly, I can't tell you how many times I said to them, yeah, so did you plant those flowers? And they say, no, did you? And I said, no, see, they're in rows. If I'd planted them, they'd just be haphazard, but they're in perfect rows, you know? And, and it was on a Wednesday after Easter. One of my buddies comes over and runs with me, and I think he just had compassion on me. And, uh, and I, I said, see my flowers? Don't you love my flowers? And he just doesn't say anything. I said, did you plant the flowers? He said, maybe. I said, really? Why? He said, you needed color, man. I mean, you, this yard definitely, definitely needs color. And I was just grateful. I mean, this guy played quarterback for the University of Texas, but he runs with me and he plants flowers in my yard. You got any friends like that? I mean, that's a good friend, right? I've got all these other friends I run with. I love them, but they never planted flowers in my yard. But, but Nathan Cook, who preached here on a Sunday night, he plants flowers in my yard. And I was just thinking, this is what God looks at. And he goes, hey, this is, this is all good. It's very good. Wait, no, it can be better. There can be something else. And so God, there's not, here's the word, there's not a helper for him. Now, helper sounds like something diminutive, except the only other place it's used in the Bible is of God. There's not a helper for him. And the word konegdo in Hebrew, in his face. One, so for the fish, there are fish. For the birds, there are birds. For the animals, there are animals. But for the human, there's no, there's no other like him who's in his face, who is suitable for him. Or the King James maybe, meat for him, who fits him. There's nobody who fits him this is what God sees so God marches the animals and God lets him name all the animals which is kind of fun I know some of you all got new puppies and you've been showing them on Facebook they're beautiful and uh naming naming the puppies you know and you, you got you know little uh, little Bindi uh is, an, is a new one and you got Belle and all these beautiful and then on my just on my little row there on on the bayou you got you got uh, Bella who absolutely destroys our paisley when they wrestle and then you got uh Lily and you got Rosie you got all these puppies you know everybody's getting puppies and they're just you know and you and, and we were, I remember when, when Shiloh um, went over the Rainbow Bridge or whatever dogs do, I don't know what happened to, Sh- my aunts told me that she went over the Rainbow Bridge and Melanie said, that's like the heaven. I said, yeah, she, Melanie said, she bit my dad. She might be under the Rainbow Bridge. We don't know about Shiloh, but I mean, we hope Shiloh made it. You know, we don't know. But, um, but after that, you know, Casey and I, we're obsessing over dogs. And so Casey says to me, you know, we've never had a dog that I named. So you've had your dogs that you named, but I've never, we've never had a dog here that I named, you know. And so I go to Africa, and I come back from Africa that summer. And uh, Casey comes with Melanie to pick him up at the airport. I'm like, wow, this is cool. My wife and my daughter, I'm welcomed home. We're in the car about three minutes, and Casey says, we need a dog. I'm like, okay, because we've been hanging out at Ace Hardware before I left, looking at the little dogs in the crates and everything. So we go down to SPCA, and we find Paisley, and we bring Paisley home. She has a name before she has a dog. Well, well, Adam gets to name. Just imagine, you know. I mean, why do you name the giraffe a giraffe? You know, looks like an elephant to me. But okay, so you know, there's he's naming all these animals. But the point is, none of them is a helper. There's not there's not one that is able to. The word is save, give succor, give help to. There's not one that that's in his face. That's right. For him. So God puts him to sleep and he does surgery and he creates the woman. And the man says, She is now flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. She fits me. And this sermon is not about marriage, but it is about God creates us for relationship with himself and he creates us for rela- relationship with others. But here's what I want you to notice there's a sameness, a beautiful likeness about Adam and Eve, but there's also difference. You know, male, female, different. There, there, there is a difference between them. And it's as if God is saying, I want you to love one who is like you, but different from you. And this is the challenge, isn't it? Because scientists have said there's a chemical in our brains called oxytocin that it's called the love chemical that if we hug somebody, we get lots of oxytocin. If we don't hug somebody, we, you know, the oxytocin level drops, you know. But it's interesting because... It only helps us to like people who are very much like us. It's a very interesting chemical in our brain. And what God is, is showing us, I think, is that we are to love. We are to love others. We are to love others who are not exactly like us. So I was thinking about how we subdivide the church in Sunday school and everybody who's the same age goes to the same classes, which makes sense with kids But then I think about how we've set apart the wisdom of the ages over here, and young adults who really need wisdom, and parents whose kids live in in North Carolina from kids whose parents live in Alaska, and they're on the same campus at the same time, but they never meet. And I wonder how that works long term. And how that impoverishes relationships in our church. And I wonder, has anybody, I, I have a friend who's at a church up in, in College Station. And, and they have mentored him and given him wisdom. And they even talked to him and a young lady and said, maybe you two Wouldn't you like to be in a church where they said, maybe you two should date. You know, maybe try that. And just giving wisdom and encouraging in that way. And we're imagining, envisioning, taking the mature couples in our church and partnering them with the youngest couples in our church just to mentor because it turns out marriage is hard it's hard work it's harder than we knew and the people who've got the wisdom and the love and the maturity who've got their own kids maybe who are somewhere else can somehow begin to mentor and love what if we built a church where we loved across the barriers so to speak we're 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 doing that internationally i love that can we do it with age can we go across that barrier See, I believe we can. In fact, I believe we have to. This is the wisdom of the church, of multi-generational church. I'll never forget when we were doing 2020 and we were having all these meetings and we had a guest come to our church and she said, I'm in a church, I'm in a church where everybody's my age. And I said, wow, what's that like? So everybody's your age. She said, it's awful because I don't have anybody that I can ask. So what do you do when this happens? What do you do? And she said, if you all would form communities where we could get to know the older people we would so love to be a part of this church and my word to you is church when we talk about community i'm not just saying you find your close group of buddies me fred uh you and eleanor we four no more shut the door i'm not talking about about that kind of community i'm talking about community that crosses the barriers and allows us to love each other as God intended for us to. We were made for community. Turns out, Douglas Jones, you, you can't live the life of the Trinity by yourself. When John Wesley became a, a believer, he says that, that somebody said to him, The Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. So where do you find that kind of community? Eugene Peterson tells a great story about a, a guy who uh, he, he wants to uh, experience life and he's in college and he says to his wife when he, when he heads off to school one day, he says, I'm just going to experience creation today. He tells her that like three days in a row and she says, you know what, I think you need to go to class. I mean, forget about creation. She has this vision that he's walking through the park in the city and he goes, no, no, no. By experience creation, I mean when I get on the bus, I look around at all these people who are created in the image of God. And I just experienced creation. They're different, but they're all made in the image of God, male and female, young and old, all created. And then Eugene Peterson said about that, if we love to see hawks soaring in the sky above us or beautiful violets blooming at our feet, uh, vincas in our front yard, if we love those things, if we love to see our puppies, Paisley and Zena, if you love to see God's work in creation, What if we loved men and women and children and the elderly and the beautiful and the plain and the blind and the deaf and the amputees and the paralytics, the mentally impaired and the emotionally distraught, each a significant and sacred detail of nature of God's creation? What if we loved in that way? And what we know for sure is the fact that we're not getting this done and we're still trying to live in isolation shows our brokenness. And that brokenness is from the fall when Adam and Eve are put out of the garden and there's this isolation. They're no longer walking closely with God. And it turns out that it's hard for them to walk closely with each other. It's hard for their kids to get along with each other. Cain kills Abel. It's, it brings all, all manner. and so. But the, but the good news is that's not the end of the story. Because in the end, God's answer for it is God made Him, 2 Corinthians 5.21, who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And here's that Steve Timmis quote. So, here's the thing. God who lived in perfect community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, loving each other, submitting to each other, sharing life together, all the beauty of that. The Father sending the Son. The Son sending the Holy Spirit. The Spirit leading us into all truth. The the Son glorifying the Father. The Father glorifying the Son. All of that. And on the cross, it's ruptured their community so jesus will say fulfilling psalm 22 my god my god why have you forsaken me so for us to have community the the very community of god the trinity had to be ruptured to be clear he was crucified naked so that we could be covered in his righteousness and no longer live life ashamed. He was killed so that we could live. That's the price for God to make us complete in Christ. And he did all of this because he loves us and he wants us to know him. So all of this is restored in Christ so that together we can live the life And I have a friend, Calvin Miller, who's gone to be with the Lord. But Calvin used to say, to live this life, I have to have God. Amen? I have to have God. He said, I would really, really like to have my wife. Calvin loved the church. But he said, all the things, like material things, that's all negotiable. Because I've got to have God. And I've got to have other people. Why? Why did he have to? Because God made us to relate to to Him and to each other. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your presence in this place. We confess, Lord, that our lives are broken, that, that, Lord, we sometimes choose isolation over community because, frankly, Lord, it's easier. We're, We're like porcupines huddling together in the cold trying to get warm. It hurts sometimes when we get close to each other. But I pray, Father, that that would not stop us from being serious about relationship in this community and living life together. And I pray that all that you began in the Garden of Eden that was lost with the fall, that is restored in Christ, Lord, that in the church... As we read earlier, we would begin to worship together and devote ourselves to the apostles' teachings and to the fellowship, the koinonia, sharing in common, and the breaking of bread, doing the Lord's supper, to baptism, to to have favor with the community we live in, Lord, to be people who are so loved that we know how to love. God, make us a church like that, and we would love it if you started today in us, in the people in this room. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.